You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. We continue through the series, uh, Rooted, as we are going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Kind of here's a quick background. Uh, the pastor of a church in a small town called Colossae, just outside of a big town called Ephesus, had a bunch of new believers in it. And they were struggling in their walk with God about some very specific areas of life. And their pastor, Epaphras, traveled from his hometown of Colossae. He couldn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Paul, I got some questions. He actually packed up and took a trip to Rome, the capital of Italy, uh, hundreds of miles away, uh, to ask Paul some advice about what was going on in his church. Paul was currently in prison under a house arrest and his pastor came to them. Paul wrote down a response and sent it back to Colossae. We're reading that response. It's called the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians chapter two has been kind of our theme verse for the series. And this is, this is the big one. It says, uh, this is one of his responses. He says, so then talking to the church in Colossae, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, that's just the beginning. He says, continue to live your lives in him. You've, you've said yes to Christ. Now the real journey begins. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He's saying, keep growing, stay rooted. The, the, the real journey begins after you've said yes to Christ. The first half of Colossians is about the root system. It's about what we believe. The second half of Colossians, as we're finding out, is about the fruit system. It's how we live. So what we've been doing is going through chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul covers a lot of bases. He covers our personal life. He covers our thought life. He covers our intimate life. He covers our actions. Uh, and now, he last week we talked about marriage. And now today... He's, uh, he's getting personal, and today we're going to talk about jobs. Today's message is called Dirty Jobs, Done Dirt Cheap. No, I'm just calling just Dirty Jobs. Dirty Jobs and they're done dirt cheap. Who knows that song? Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Dirty Jobs, today's message. It's one of the dirtiest jobs in the ancient world, and that is... Slavery. We're going to talk about that for a second. I want to make sure that you understand Paul's about to talk about slaves. And when we think of slaves, according to the Bible, it's not what we think of slaves when we think of slaves now. When we think of slaves, we think of Lincoln. We, we think of uh, the horrible atrocities done uh, in the early Americas and South America and around the world, abducting people's lives and forcing them into uh, abusive um, you know, subpar conditions and, and uh, just a terrible conditions. Um, we, we think of maybe slavery today. There's slavery. To, there's more slavery today than there was 300 years ago. To this day, there are still hundreds of thousands of people forced into slavery around the globe. When the Bible talks about slavery, it's not talking about slavery in the context of what we know slavery as. Um, in fact, Christians have led the march to abolish slavery since the time the Bible was written to today. Every great, all the organizations that are out there to abolish slavery were founded and started and run by believers motivated by the scriptures to abolish an atrocity, a terrible, 
terrible injustice upon humanity, and that is slavery. When the Bible talks about slavery, it is not endorsing slavery as we think of it. In fact, every time you see the word slavery in the Bible, you should think of the word bondsman or bond slave. Let me explain. Because the Bible does not endorse slavery. Ignorant people have attempted to use the Bible to endorse slavery, but the Bible does not. Let's put it in the context of the culture and you'll see how it does not and why it does not. In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do, whatever, uh, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then he unpacks how we should live at home, how we should live in our life, how we should, you know, how our actions, how we're to take off the old man and put on a new man, a new life, uh, wear this new life in Christ like a coat. And then he says this, verse 22, slaves. He starts talking to slaves. Now, Ancient slavery is different. For example, in the Roman Empire, it was not a racial issue. There were, in fact, a third of the entire Roman Empire was considered slaves or bondsmen. Uh, And they were made or put into a position of bondsmen or slavery either by force because they were a conquered nation. It was not about race, but it was about domination of property and land or it was about taxes or debt. For example, uh, they didn't have a, for, a foreclosure system in ancient Rome. If you, went, if you could not pay your mortgage on your home in ancient Rome, they arrested you and you became your lender's bondsman until you paid off everything that you owed, and it could be in years. Um, or if you were late on your taxes, you would be arrested and be forced to be a bondsman until your taxes were paid. And by many, the majority of the bondsmen in the Roman Empire that were considered slaves were there by choice because every job training program was a slave institution in ancient Rome. Uh, and the military was also a form of slavery in ancient Rome. For example, uh, uh, the Roman government would, or the Roman military would take over a, a, a land, a region, and they would say, you have two choices. You'll either become a slave for the next 15 years and earn your citizenship, and then we set you free, or you join the military, and after serving in the military for 10 years, you then become a Roman citizen. And for many, uh, it was a a choice that they made in order to receive citizenship. Uh, and by the way, we even have some great figures in the Bible that were considered slaves. You know, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and who wrote the book of Acts, he was a physician by trade, which is a slave trade. Every person who was a physician in the ancient Roman world first spent 10 to 15 years as a slave learning that trade. Every major trade was a bondsman position. So when the Bible talks about slavery, it is not talking about abusive, you know, these, you know, roots kind of conditions uh, where you're taken across, you know, the ocean and to a whole new kind of life and away from your family. It was a way to either earn citizenship or pay off debt or to prove your value to uh, society by learning a trade. This is important because now the Bible is going to talk about slaves and masters. And this is not an endorsement of slavery. This is a culture of bondsmen where a third of the population were a bondsman or slave by their definition. So 
Some masters were ruthless. Some were good. Uh, some were treated as family. Uh, we even have evidence that many of the Roman citizens left their inheritance to their slaves. That's how close they were. Uh, in fact, we're reading the book of Colossians, but there were actually two letters sent to Colossae. Anybody know what the second one is? Second Colossians, good guess, but no. There's only one Colossians. The other letter to Colossians is called Philemon. They were sent at the exact same time. It's a little tiny book near the back of your Bible, and that is the story all about a slave who ran away, who gave his life to Christ, and Paul sent him back home to his master called Philemon. And he was to basically say, I left a slave, but I came back a brother in Christ. Will you forgive me for stealing from you and robbing from you? And it's a little tiny letter that Onesimus was to hand off to his master Philemon. And that's in the Bible. They were sent at the same time. So they were very familiar with the culture of bondsmen in Colossae. In fact, the church in Colossae met in the house of Philemon, who's the slave or the master of Onesimus. All right, so get out of your pic, out, out of your mind the picture of roots and get in your mind this picture of a bondsman culture, okay? Here we go, verse 22. Now, hopefully you can understand this. We're going to look at this through the position of a boss and an employee. Today we're talking about dirty jobs, all right? So slaves or bondsmen, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, before I dive into that passage and what it means for us if we have a boss, and for those of us in this room that are a boss, I want to give a real quick theology of work. Because uh, there's a misconception about work, and we need to get this straight. The first thing you need to look at or to realize before we unpack that verse is that, number one, is that work is a blessing, not a curse. Work is a blessing. Many cannot wait till the day they stop having to work. But we were created to work. That's God's plan. Look at this. Work was not the result of sin, we're not, we were not destined to chill in the garden and swing around in a hammock for the rest of eternity. This is what it says in Genesis 2. It says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say work it. Work it, baby. Put in the garden to work it and take care of it. God then says, this is good. He took Adam. Sin had not entered the culture of the world yet. And he put him in the garden and said, Adam, work. And that's good. It's good. Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and ruled them, Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish, the sea of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said, rule over. That means take care of it, tend to it, be good to it, and work it. See, the very charge of Adam was to work. The very charge of Adam and Eve was work. It's part of God's plan. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a God thing. And the right perspective of work will change everything about how you perceive your morning when you hit that alarm. 
In fact, the Bible says that one day that this world will pass away and we'll be given a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what? It includes work as well. The Bible says we will be given work assignments in this new heaven and new earth. It's even part of the afterlife. So number one, work is a blessing. It's not a curse. Number two, realize this real work is tough. All work stinks. All right. Real work. You know, it's work when you sweat. You know, it's work when you're stressed. You know, it's work when your heartbeat goes up. Listen to this. Genesis three seventeen. He says, Adam, because you've sinned, because you ate of the apple and you and Eve blew it on that issue. He said, because of that, he said, curses the ground because of you. He says, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Guys, listen, the curse is the weeds, not the work. You see, the curse was that work will be hard and laborious and by the sweat of our brow. And it, there'll be days when we despise going to work and don't want to work. And the ground is hard for us. Uh, for the farmer, it's weeds. For the builder, it's an inspector. <laughs> And uh, for you, it's your coworkers, whatever. There are weeds. And, you know, if you're, if you're, a, a, you know, I know Brian has a, has a school and he teaches at home for you. It's the city. Who's <laughs> always trying to come against you about, about doing what, what you know is uh, legally you're right. He goes on to say, and you will eat the plants of the field. He says, by the sweat of your brow. And you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust, you are in dust, you will return. Realize every job will have its thorns. Stop searching for the perfect job. We often think the grass is greener on the other side until we get over there and realize it's not so fun either. Guys, listen, there are toilets to clean in every job. Because real work is tough. Learn to bloom where you're planted. You might want to write that down. I will learn to bloom where I am planted. Here's a third thing you need to realize about on the theology of work is that Christians are, well, Christians don't have jobs. We have ministry assignments. This will change everything about how you get up in the morning. Some are long-term, some are short-term, some are harder than others, but all jobs are an assignment on God given to us to lead. If you are a Christ follower and you are uh, in this room, I mean, I understand some of you guys may have not made that decision to give your life to Christ. And for you, it's just, you know, everybody's working for the weekend. You know, it's all about getting a paycheck to make it to the weekend, to have some fun. But if you are a Christian, it's not about the weekend. It's about that assignment that God puts you there for on Monday. Titus 2.9 says, teach servants to be subject to their masters and everything. He says to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them. Put those paper clips back, y'all. Put that stapler back. Stop taking those reams of paper. And not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Everybody say trusted. Fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about Jesus, our Savior, attractive. You know what? God placed you wherever you are to bring his presence to that place. That means God has you on assignment even on that job you don't like even on that job that frustrates you annoys you uh you know really pokes at you those people oh man you think the grass is everywhere greener than where you're at you know what god puts you there for that season forever long it might be on assignment to bring the presence of god to that place so with that in mind 
let's revisit Colossians. And let's take a look at this. Biblical principles that will change your life. When you're not the boss, this is what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly master and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor. Here's the first thing that Colossians is telling us is number one, do what you were hired to do every time and in every way and in every area. Do what you were hired to do in every area every time. Funny thing is, it's funny, when we show up on time and we do what we're asked with excellence, we stand out. That should be the norm. Have you ever noticed that? Man, that guy's always on time. Man, well, you should always be on time. All of you should be always be on time. Well, man, that guy, man, he's always got a positive attitude. You should always have, all of you should always have a positive attitude. Man, he, when he does the job, he does it right the first time around. All of you should do it right to the best of your ability the first time around. This is what he said, man, do it right. Not just when somebody's watching you, not just when they're checking up on you, but all the time, every time, not just when they're looking at you. Many of the errors that we face in life are simply because we're being lazy because we think nobody sees what we're doing. So we are lazy. We do less. God says, no, man, this is not about you. It's about me looking good in you. Do your best. All the time. Do what you're hired to do. Someone say, well, everything, even when it's wrong? Well, first obey God. If it contradicts what God's called you to do, you have a higher master, the Father. I mean, we see this throughout scriptures. We see it with a guy named Daniel in the Old Testament who who stood against his boss and would not bow down to the pressures of that culture to worship a false deity, and it got him thrown in the lion's den. And, you know, if you stand for what is right, you might find yourself among lions. And here's a need to write this down. If it's sin, don't do it. If it's stupid, do it well. Most of the time, it's not that it's wrong. It's that you think it's stupid. Don't roll your eyes, belittle your boss, chime in dissent. Because if we do it well... You earn the right to walk alongside your boss. And we see that throughout the scriptures. But guys like Joseph and Daniel and Ezra, Nehemiah, all these big guys in the Bible, they worked alongside godless jerks. And because they did it with excellence, it earned them the right to become their advisors and were given special privileges and even funded ministry. It's pretty amazing. If it's wrong, don't do it. If it's stupid, do it well. Here's another thing that Colossians tells us. It says, with the sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That means have a great attitude or fake a great attitude. It's like fake. <laughs> You're telling me to lie. Not, when I say fake a great attitude, I'm talking about an attitude by faith. <laughs> have a good attitude even when you don't feel like having a good attitude. But if I fake a good attitude, I'm being dishonest and I'm being a hypocrite. I need to be legit. I need to be real. When did we become so self-absorbed. Let me put it this way. If you are a parent and your baby, your baby, uh, <laughs> was eaten by a dingo, uh, Seinfeld, it was the way baby came out. <laughs> if your baby is crying in the middle of the night, uh, you get up and you do it anyways, don't you? It's a greater show of love when you wake up when you and you do it when you don't want to do it than when it's easy to do when you're playing together. We think that somehow being genuine to our feelings is more important 
Let me explain this verse. It says, with sincerity of heart. Now, in the ancient world, the heart, the real translation is the bowels or the innards. It's not so romantic then, is it? Could you imagine give, putting, you know, giving your wife a, a beautiful card and it has a picture of bowels on it? I give you my bowels. Well, today the heart means the center of our emotion. For them, the heart was the bowels. It was the center, that gut knowing. Uh, it was the seat of will and commitment. And it's not about a feeling, but it's about a choice. It's about an inside, deep gut knowing that it is right and doing it. So when he says with sincerity of heart, he says, do it because inside you know it's right. Not because it feels right, but because sincerely you know it's right. So have a good attitude. And when you don't feel like having a good attitude, you choose to have one anyways. The next verse uh, verse gives us another challenge. Verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Your job is not about you. It is about pleasing God. Write this down. This is the third thing. Colossians is telling those of you who have a boss, and that is pursue excellence, reject good enough. Some of you, that's how you work. Well, it's good enough. It won't get me fired. It reaches the minimum requirement of done. No, no, the Bible says, man, you, you have been called to not do things for your boss, but you do things for the Lord. He says, enough with good enough. Pursue excellence. When we work as unto the Lord, we do more than the minimum. Excellence and integrity lead our work. Values and ethics are the charge of our soul. Pursuing excellence and pursuing perfection are different. Because Pursuing excellence means that sometimes you'll hit a home run. Sometimes you'll hit a double. Sometimes you'll strike out. But if you're always pursuing excellence, you may not always hit a home run. Perfection is where you always feel you must hit a home run and everything else is less acceptable. Guys, listen. God says, I don't want perfection. I want excellence. Pursue excellence. Do your best all the time. Sometimes that best will fail, but that doesn't mean you didn't do your best. Don't be a perfectionist, but pursue excellence. Every day is an interview for tomorrow. The big boss, Christ, is watching. And opportunities from the big boss do not send emails to you to tell you it's coming. Our master in heaven is watching us and we work to him and unto him. Colossians 3 goes on. I like this verse, verse 325 says, anyone who does not, who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism. In the context of the job that that this verse is mentioned, it's basically saying, you know, just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't accept you from getting fired. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you won't be written up sometimes at work when you fail. You're like some, some believers somehow think that they're like God's man or woman for that place and that they, you know, you, know, you can't fire me. I'm a, I'm a child of God. You know, the Bible says, you know what? 
If you do wrong, you're going to get fired. If you do wrong, you're going to get written up. Just because you are a follower of Christ does not mean you are not held accountable to good work. I think that's pretty intense. Man, the Bible hits it for real when it comes to work. Now, that's what it's like if you are the employee. Now, what if you're the employer? Here real quick is uh, what about if you're the boss? Then he takes uh, a different direction and talks to the bosses. One verse. By the way, this verse is a great example of how Jesus transforms the culture because there's not a single single ancient uh, text that that talks uh, about anything like this except in the Bible. Colossians 4.1, he says, Masters, provide your slaves what is right. That means contractually obligated. And fair, that means above what is obligated. Because you know that you have a master in heaven. Two things if you are the boss is number one, Create a work environment that is both just and fair. You do what is required and above. Some of you uh, have a team uh, that you're over. Some of you are actually an owner of a business. Some of you uh, are are an employee and you're on the bottom rung. And, you know, you want to know what a good boss is? A good boss is one who does this, who does what is right, obligationally, contractually right, and fair above what is requested or obligated. A great verse for managers uh, is Solomon writing to his son in Proverbs. Uh, he's uh, Solomon's the king. And he says, man, let me give you some advice on how to manage people. He says this in Proverbs 20, verse 28. He says, love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. Mm. He says this, you want to avoid a coup or a bunch of mass quitting episode or people turning against you, love them, put their needs above your own and be faithful. That means dependable, be reliable, be trustworthy. Here's number two thing that this verse in Colossians tells the boss is number two. It says, treat your subordinates as you would want God to treat you for. He says, masters, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Every boss will face the boss. And every boss, every manager, every position of authority will have to face the ultimate authority. And every person in authority will have to give an account to the final authority of Jesus Christ. You will answer to Christ. And as I transition into the dirtiest, the toughest, the most difficult job on the planet, I want you to remember this, is that whether you're an employee or an employer, you are a missionary on special assignment a special agent on assignment to bring the presence of God to the life of those at that place where you go to work every day. Now, I want to talk about the the toughest job on the planet. Anybody want to give it a shot? What's the toughest job on the planet? I heard somebody. Toughest job on the planet. What do you think it is? Mom? Pretty close. Parents. What Colossians in chapter 3 does is we actually skipped... Two verses, we're going to go back to those verses because I, pl- I believe that you can have the perfect setup at job. You can be the perfect employee or employer. You can have everything right at the job. But if you get it wrong at this job, your life will be completely unfulfilled and unhappy. So here's the toughest job, the most difficult job is parenting, the dirtiest job of all. So uh, let's take a look at it in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 3, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, 
for this pleases the Lord. Every family member has a role. That's what he, We talked about marriage last week. Every family member has a role. Fathers or parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, I got to tell you, I remember when uh, I didn't have kids. And I don't miss those days at all because I love, 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 love my uh, daughters. And I love the journey of having my daughters. But I tell you, I remember waiting to have kids. We waited five years. We were married and we decided we were going to wait five years so that we could kind of get to know each other better and be knit together and enjoy some trips and things together. And, and I remember tr- uh, waiting to have kids. I remember how we would, we would sit in Chick-fil-A and I would go, oh, I want one. <laughs> you know, you see the kids playing in the, in the, in the, in the playground there. And I'm like, oh man, I look, I want one. And, uh, you know, my wife would get in the mood to have a child and I'd be in the mood. We're like, no, we're going to wait five years. So I remember that period. I remember when we decided to have children and the journey, uh, to wait to see when we were going to have a child, when we were trying to have a child. Uh, and I remember, uh, finding out that we were going to have a child. I remember that news. I remember finding out that, 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 that it was going to happen. I remember the first time, I tell you, probably one of the most emotional moments of my life was seeing my children born. And I remember the first time I held my baby. I remember the first time that I changed a diaper. And I remember the first time I, I put that car seat in the car and I was scared to death to drive. I went half the speed limit all the way. I was scared. The rearview mirror was straight on the, the back of the baby's head because you, you couldn't see the baby because of the way the seats were. I was just scared. I remember the first night without sleep, right? night number one, uh, and, and the, the many nights that followed where there was many sleepless nights. And I remember laying on the ground next to uh, my oldest daughter's bed with my arm in the crib, just uh, sleeping on her floor, because I was one of those parents that refused to let her come into our bedroom because I didn't want her to get in the habit of. So I would lay in her room or I would sleep in their bed. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm sneak out. As soon as the door hits, ah, so I'm back in there, laying on the floor with my arm into the crib. And I remember those days. And, and, and I remember the first, like, real laugh that my baby ever had. And, and the smile, not the passing gas or the going to the bathroom smile and laugh, but the real Dad, you're funny. This is funny. This is hilarious experience. I remember the first Band-Aid. I, I remember the first, like, kiss that, that didn't include, you know, the real kiss, you know, from a child to their parent. I remember the first time I heard Daddy. Not just da, da, or da. Those were beautiful, but Daddy. Oh, man. And I remember the first time I heard, I love you from my children. That was unsolicited. That wasn't an I love you too. I realized, man, I am way over my head. So then I went to Barnes and Noble and brought all the books and I figured it all out. And I watched Nanny 911 and I figured it all out. And uh, I'm now an expert. I'm not. I still fail. I still mess up. So when, when the Bible talks to us about parenting, it is, it is a journey that, that never stops. There's always a phase. There's always, the, you know, the one year, the two year, the three year. I'm in the teen years, and it is really hard. 
being a parent of a teen, and I was a youth pastor for years and years. Man, I'm like, Mr. Youth Pastor, ah, I know your teen better than you, even though I don't have one, Pastor. That was me. There's no bad kids, only bad parents, right? That's the way I thought as a youth pastor. Now I'm a parent. I'm like, I must be a bad parent. <laughs> and I thought, man, maybe I don't know everything. You know, you can, you have to be tested, trained, and licensed to drive a car, but anybody can have a child and anyone can be a parent. So when you look through the scriptures, you see the reality of being a parent is hard. And many of the heroes of the Bible were not very good at it at all. It just got dark in here. We're not very good at it at all. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, Adam, uh, well, his kids killed each other. Um, the first family story begins with a brother that uh, gets that kills one and the other one gets a life sentence. Um, they, they couldn't blame it on the school system. Uh, they couldn't blame it on TV or video games uh, or the media because it wasn't there. Because rebellion is bound up in our hearts. Abraham, man, he ran off one of his kids. Jacob, he stole from his brother, lied to his dad. Uh, and Jacob, when he had his own kids, he played favorites with his own kids, which put his own uh, kids against themselves. And he had his, his kids beat up and abused one of their own brothers. Um, Samuel uh, raised wild, cheating uh, kids that were known to have sex in the church. They were of total embarrassment. Uh, David... Three of his kids were killed by their own siblings. One of his own sons raped his sister and and one even tried to murder David, his own dad. We're talking about heroes in the Bible that struggled with being a good parent. And in the New Testament, God handpicked Mary and Joe. He handpicked them to be the parents that would raise the Messiah, that would raise Jesus. And all we know about them is, is that they lost him for three days. Many Bible passages on parenting refer to the challenges and rewards of being a parent. Psalms 127 says this, that children are a heritage. Children are a heritage. That they are a quiver, that they are arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Now, I've got some arrows here, and and, uh, the Bible says that children are like arrows. We're like... And the Bible says, blessed are those that have a quiver full. And the quiver would be like a, things that holds a bunch of arrows, man. So like if you have a lot of kids, you are blessed. Because each one of those has been handcrafted by God and presented to you as a gift, as a legacy, as a blessing. Whether you have one or 21, it is a heritage, it is a blessing, it is a gift from God to you. That's what Psalm says. So let's look at this passage. It says, this is a a reference in Colossians 3 to a letter that he wrote to a church down the street called Ephesus. It was very close. And the letters to Ephesus were passed around by all the churches. So Colossians would have read Ephesus for sure. And it echoes some of the same words, but adds a little bit more. So let's read that passage out of Ephesus in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, that's referring to kids that are at home. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. That means this is part of walking with God. A a student that learns to obey their parents is one who's walking with the Lord more and more. Just as a person who is obedient to their boss in everything is an example of someone who's walking with the Lord. If you expect your children to listen to you, but you don't listen to your boss, 
then you need to take a look at your heart. Because they are both reflections of someone who is walking with the Lord. He says, he goes on to say in uh, Ephesians, he says, honor your father and mother. Now, this is a, a charge to whether you're in the home or out of the home. He says, uh, which is the first commandment with a promise. It's right out of Exodus twenty twelve. He says that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, our teens are, are talked to about uh, this challenge in our youth ministry and in kid ventures. So I'm not going to like direct this passage to our teens too much. I just want to mention a couple of things. It says children obey, children honor. Obey echoes back to this whole idea of you must obey them because it teaches us about how to obey our future authority. Again, referring back to the job issue. And it says honor. And this goes beyond living at home. This is for uh, adults. If you're an adult in this room and you have a parent, you are to honor your parents. And then it says this, as the result, it will be this, because it will go well with you and you'll enjoy life. He says, that's what you get. When you respect your parents, when you honor your parents, when you obey them, when you're in the house and you've been asked to do something, you obey them, it goes well with you. It does not go well with you when you do not. And when you get out of that house, man, you're going to have a lifelong enjoyment and understanding. You see, if you learn how to respect authority under the roof, then you'll learn to expect authority in the world. Because parents teach us how. And after you move out, it affects how we treat others. It affects uh, our understanding of authority. So let's talk about parents for just a minute. And this is what it says. Fathers or parents... Colossians 3.21, do not embitter your children. That means exhaust, frustrate, or drive mad. Or parent out of anger. For some of you, there goes your parenting style. Right out the window. He says, or they will become discouraged. That means frustrated. That means the air will be let out of their motivation. Ephesians 6.4 says something similar. It says, fathers or parents... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, everybody say trade out. It says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I want to end with this thought. The world's toughest job, how to launch healthy kids out of this passage. We're going to go through these pretty quick because I combined two topics today because next week we're going to end our study in Colossians. And I wanted to make sure we got the jobs the toughest job, particularly today. So here's the first thing. It says, do not exasperate your children. Do not embitter them. Number one, it takes patience and gentleness. This applies also for those of you that are grandparents. It takes patience and gentleness. Your actions and responses shape your future, shape their ch- your children's future and responses. You see, my kids will learn how to respond in life by the way I respond to them in life. If I am patient and gentle, my kids will learn to be patient and gentle. If I am impatient and harsh, my children uh, will learn to be impatient and harsh. We are teaching our kids about relationships by how we respond to each other in our relationship. The greatest gift you can give your child is a marriage that is reflecting the love and gentleness and patience of God. You know, my girls learn 
hopefully, about what to expect from a man by me. I love on them. I value them. I've told them they were beautiful. But as they're growing up, other men are stepping into their life. And one day there will be another man that will take their arm out of my arm. And what will my daughters be looking for? Hopefully someone who is patient and gentle. My son is learning how to be a man, how to respect the women in his life through the gentle patience of his father. A daughter is learning how to be a wife and how to be a friend through the response and care and gentleness of her mother. Here's number two. It says, do not exasperate or do not embitter. It also means it takes listening. It takes listening. Talk with your child, not at your child. Listen to understand, not to be understood. You need to ask yourself, are you listening or are you lecturing? How was, here's an example. How was school? Well, school stinks. School doesn't sink, you might say, uh, stink. Uh, You need to stop goofing off. Well, you've just shut them down. You've exasperated. You discouraged them. Well, they say, well, my teachers hate me. No, they don't hate you. You're fine. Don't worry, but you've just invalidated their feelings. They shut down. You've discouraged them. You let the air out. Why don't you try instead listening and learning and being invited into their heart rather than trying to solve all their problems? Listening. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Great passage. Here's the third thing. Um, Oh, by the way, before we get to that third thing, I took a survey as a youth pastor to the teenagers in our youth group, and I'll never forget. I asked two questions. How often do you have meaningful talks with your parents? The average student said five minutes a week of meaningful conversation. Um, How often do they say I love you? Uh, Most of the kids said less than once a month. Uh, The question was asked, I wish my parents would, and I left it blank. Some of the things they said were, I wish my parents would understand me. Try to see things from my perspective. Talk about the little things too. Be more involved in my life. Listen to each other and listen to me. When was the last time you listened to understand? Because obviously you'll pay now or pay later. Conversations with my kids, man. I will listen about the puppies, about the Barbies and the playing. Because if I keep listening, then maybe when they're 16, they'll talk to me about Friday night. Rush them off now and they'll eventually never come back. Here's the third one. is It it takes consistency. He says this, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training means discipline and modeling by example. And instruction, that means teaching and consistent discipline in the Lord. That means a consistent involvement. Things to consistently teach. And this is a kind of a footnote. It's barely in your notes, barely gave you space, but I wanted to squeeze this in. Bear with me. I'm going to hit these fast. Here's a few things that we are called to consistently teach our children based on the scripture. We are to teach values. That means set consistent, clear boundaries with consequences. Instead of saying, don't make me get up. Don't make me get up. Well, you have no intention of getting up. You have no, in- you're threatening and they know that there is not a clear consequence with a clear boundary. What you're doing is you're eroding away your authority. Keep your word and say things like, if you do this, I will do this. Then you must do it. And a lack of clear boundaries exasperates both. Another thing, teach grace. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. 
if you're hammering down on the on the rules and you're hammering down on the on the on the discipline and they don't feel that love and affection and understanding from you with patience and gentleness, you will exasperate them. Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares the rod hates his son. That's what we like. But it says this, but he who loves him is careful to discipline. You see, discipline along with this deep sense of relationship. This is an issue of love and care, not anger. Third thing to teach is why. Teach why. Don't have rules without reasons. I grew up all the time with my mom. I would say, why? And my mom would say, because I'm a mom. And it used to drive me crazy. Have you had a mom say, because I'm the mother? You ever have a mom that says that? Because I told you so. That's why. Right? And uh, I'm like, just frustrated me, exasperated me so much. And then all of a sudden it came to have my own kids. And they started asking why. And I'm like, oh, don't. Because, oh, <laughs> because I'm your father. You know, I thought, you know what? We need to give room for the why. Allow your kids to ask why. I have no problems with ever telling my children why. Proverbs 19.10 says, Discipline your son, for it is in their hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. See, you need to explain to him why there is discipline because it's for his betterment of his future, of his life, because of the outcome. Kids thrive with healthy and fair boundaries. Here's another thing to teach consistently. uh, Teach different viewpoints. I think this is a tough one. That means pick some battles that you know you're going to lose. And uh, that means your child will have different opinions than yours. And it's okay. I would love for my kids to see the world the way I see it. But they're going to have different opinions. And I need to give that room to be a little different than me. About What, what I want them to know for sure is the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that they hold on to that. But there are so many non-essentials. That, that it's okay if we disagree on. And I want to give them that room to have a different viewpoint. And I think it's important that we need to pick our battles wisely so that we're not putting our, our, our flag down on something that's just going to drive them away rather than help them to know Christ better. And here's the last thing uh, as what to teach them consistently is teach encouragement. Encourage far more than you criticize. If all our words are like, pick up, get ready, do this, you're always... How much of your conversation is trying to control them? How much of your conversation is trying to discipline them rather than encourage them? Consistently teach these things and you will avoid exasperating and discouraging them. And then he says this, Ephesians 6, 4, he says, bring them up. That means it's going to take time. It's going to take some time. To bring someone along is not to tell them and expect it's done. It means to walk with them. You need to realize that being a parent is a walk, is a journey. It will not happen overnight. It will not happen in a couple of years. It will take a lifetime of bringing them along with you, walking with them. You know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E, not G-I-F-T, or the occasional vacation. It's not, I am a firm believer, it is not about quality time. It is about Quantity time. Quality time can never make up for missed years, missed months, missed days, missed games, missed evenings, missed moments. Quantity time. I want you to think back about your parents. You might have a memory too of a vacation or so, but some of you who are close to your parents, some of the things you'll probably remember the most is the fact that they were there. 
that they were involved, that they showed up. You remember them watching TV and just hanging out as a family and and doing dinner and cooking together and just being together. You say, well, I don't have time. Well, you need to make it happen. You need to cheat something because you're cheating your family right now. You need to cheat something or someone else that's not your family. You need to cut something out. You need to rearrange something else. You need to cancel something. You need to be home. You need to be together because it takes time. Here's the last thing. It takes the Lord. He says this, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It takes the Lord. He is your power source. Make your family's priority G-O-D, not GPA or MVP. We get so off base with this. Everything that we should be about as a parent is about helping them to grow and get rooted in Jesus. I just want my girls to know more than anything else the love of Christ, and I want them to live for him more than anything else in this whole world, to know his plan, to know that he loves them, that he cares for them, that he's got a mission for them. Here's our mission. Our kids are arrows gifted to us handcrafted, beautifully, wonderfully made by God and gifted to us. And we hold them into our arms and we take care of them. We tend them, we clean them, we nurture them. And what God has done to parents is he's given us a mission. He says, I want you to launch them. Parents are not about loving the arrow only, but about releasing that arrow. See, a key to raising children is this. I'm not going to shoot this, I promise. I've shot one in service before, um, and nobody was hurt. But this is the point, is that with parenting, you've been given a beautiful, beautiful blessing. As a parent, we are to... Nurture, care, train, instruct. And when that happens, there's tension, isn't there? It's a lot of tension in home. It takes strength, takes risk, takes courage, but ultimately takes a release. And I think that's probably the scariest part for every parent in here. But if we do it in the Lord, then when we release, God will take them. And if we point them in the right direction in Christ, and if we point them in the right direction in their walk with God and with who they are as a person, if we model working for them so when they get into their job, they are a healthy employee or boss, when we train them in patience and kindness and gentleness, when we train them to allow different points of view, but to uphold the most important standard of the cross, the resurrection in Christ, and, it is, and a need to know Jesus, when we elevate what's important and give liberty in the areas that are not important, and we train them with kindness and gentleness, it will be hard, it will be stressful, it will be tension, but when we let go of them, boy, will they fly. Boy, will they fly. And that's when we give them to the Lord.
So I want to encourage you guys today. Release the arrow. Some of you, you've already released your arrows, and they, uh, they're, you're now a grandparent, or, uh, or maybe you live out of state and you don't get to see them very much. And maybe you, you failed in some of those areas. It's never too late because every person, every person desires the heart of their parent. Every daughter wants to know her mother. Every son cries out for the heart of a father. And even if you've failed, it's never too late to engage again. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. One thing this teaches us for sure is that we have room to grow as a parent. We're not always right. God is not done with us. Because the reality is you can stack the deck in your favor, but you can still draw a joker. Because ultimately it's the Lord's to deal with and to lead and to guide. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you have called us to be godly parents and you've called us to be godly employees. Uh, God, that you've called us to, uh, to be people at work who honor and reflect you. And God, that you've called us to be parents that honor and reflect you. And God, I pray that we would take these jobs seriously, that we are on assignment. And God, whether we are on assignment and being launched into the world tomorrow at our work, or if we are a parent, that is preparing for the great launch of our children in the future, or if we're a student that's ready to be launched. God, I pray that you'd help us to find that you are the source of our strength and the one who guides us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to talk to God for a minute. Just talk to him. Jesus, I I need you. Maybe you're a parent and you need to know Jesus this morning in his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Maybe you've blown it as a parent in some areas and and you feel convicted about that. Well, you know what? Talk to Jesus about it. He will forgive you and you can make your way into their life again with grace and gentleness and patience. Maybe you're a student and you've had a parent that has failed you. Maybe you're an adult and you have a parent that has failed you. Will you forgive Will you give grace? Some people here are lazy. Some people here are doing as little as possible at work to get by. I hope today you are convicted to be a man and woman of God on special assignment to lift and to bring Jesus. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Teach us to be dynamic in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.